This is a Sirius XM Urban View special. Urban View Vote with Sunday Civics. It's election season and time to make your voice heard with your vote. More than 60% of people eligible to vote have never been asked to register. So on this National Voter Registration Day, let's take civic action. Voter registration is more important than ever as they shift policies to respond to COVID-19. Urban View Vote is a nonpartisan election year voter registration campaign designed to raise awareness about voter registration opportunities in all 50 states. Every Sunday morning, Sunday Civics gives us a civic education using current political issues. On this Urban View Vote special, you will hear from engaged citizens in battleground states about what's at stake in this election. Senator Elizabeth Warren joins as a special guest to chat about the importance of civics, election security, and what we need to do in our communities leading up to November. This is Urban View Vote with host, national political strategist L. Joy Williams. Welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged, and welcome to the 2020 Urban View Vote Special. Today's conversation is in advance of National Voter Registration Day, which is this Tuesday, September 22nd, and it's basically a holiday here on Sunday Civics. This is the second Urban View Vote Special ever, and shout out to Karen Hunter, Joe Madison, and Sway, who hosted the first ever vote special at Morehouse College during the midterms back in 2018. I have an amazing show for you this Sunday morning, and I'm super excited that our special guest is the senior senator from Massachusetts, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who, by the way, is a fan of the show. We discuss what's at stake in this election other than beating the big orange ugly. And of course, you know, there are some lessons in the mix. So get ready to write down your civic action homework later in the show. But first, you know, I got my thoroughest girls with me. June like the month. Moses like the Bible. Hey, June. Hey, Eljoy Williams, how are you in your fabulous life? You look fabulous. Trying to use all of the resources and tools that I have in this home office slash studio. Also joining us is our social justice lawyer. She is the interim executive director for the Center for Law and Social Justice at Mega Everest College, a CUNY, Laurie Daniel Favors. Hey, Laurie. Hey, y'all. Glad to be a Girl represent. Good to see y'all. Love y'all. Miss y'all. All the things, you know. All of the things. I'm so excited that we get to have this conversation conversation in advance of National Voter Registration Day, which is this Tuesday, which means we all have work to do right this week. Like right now. Like right now, what you can do is while you are listening to our conversation, you can text two of your friends while you're listening right now and ask them if they're registered to vote. Or maybe two of your family members, you know, those cousins that you wanted a way to sort of maybe check up on somebody, see how they're doing. Hey, how you doing? Then you make sure you registered. That is your action for at least the first part of this conversation. Right, Lori? That works. And I, I think that is a wonderful way to civically minded and still pay attention. What random cousin are you texting about voter registration day and making sure that they're registered and turn out the vote? I have one cousin who has fallen down the QAnon. Oh, no. So that cousin is on my list. And I have a couple of mentees that I'm checking in with as well, who I know are trying to be more active. They out in them Black Lives Matter protests in streets. I just need to make sure they actually register to vote because while you protest, you must also create your election electoral plan, your vote plan, so that your protests will be manifested and reflected in legislation. June? I need Larie to write that down because I'm not worried about my cousins. They all pretty much know do the right thing or I will kill you. 
But for the people that I come across in the street, you know, and I'm going voter registration and da 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 and the 20th and da 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 da, they're like, they don't do nothing, no way. And I don't need nobody. And da da da. And it's like all these things where I'm going, no, this is step one. It's just voting. It doesn't cost anything. So I need you to write that down so I can flip it and stand there with my bullhorn on the corner of 135th Street yelling that at people while the rest of my team are sitting there waving voter registrations because it's not a game. Everything is at stake. Like, I am 51 years old, and I don't know what this life is. Mm-hmm. Everything is at stake. So write that down, Lori, and then email it so that this way I can put it into action. You know, I'm going to ask Senator Warren about this question as well, because as we are pushing, and it happens every presidential election year, you know, people got the phrases, vote or die, and this is the most important election in your lifetime, like every election is. But there are folks we know that are at the poverty line or below who may say, look, my life didn't change drastically. I was still po." When Obama was elected <laughs> president, I was Poe. When Trump was elected president, when Bush was elected president, like they can't see the entry point or the way that electoral politics will have an impact on their daily lives. I was actually tweeting earlier this week about Malcolm X quotes. And there's one quote that I kind of consistently have in my brain in which he was like, there was a, basically that there was a time you didn't know everything either. So to have like patience and not judge people for, not having the same knowledge and information that you do. And it's meeting people where they are and giving them the entry point on how the things that matter to them or impact their daily life, how it can be influenced with registering or participating in the process. Because if you are worried about like, you know, food security and sort of things like that, like people want you to make that direct connection on how this vote is going to immediately put food on my table. That's exactly what people want to know. And they need to hear it quick and dirty because people don't have time for a whole long explanation and this like whole universe that we have here is great but I challenge people to reach outside your universe and talk to that person that always blows off politics everybody knows that person that neighbor whoever and talk to them and explain to them that those things on Facebook aren't true and this is how this is going to affect your life and if you don't you will get more of the same and I know you don't like this so we have to really for real not just say we're going to meet them where they are because everybody Mm -hmm. loves to say that, but nobody bends their back. Now is the time to bend and explain to people what this is. If it take 10 times, 20 times, what do we got? Like two months before D-Day? Let's go. All hands on deck. Yeah. And particularly, Laria, I think this is where a focus on local politics and local issues has its day, right? Because people may not see how their direct vote for president may impact their lives. But if you talk to them about local politics in terms of who's making a decision on whether your kids are going back in the school building or who's making the decision on funding for food pantry programs because of the food insecurity or making sure people have a moratorium on evictions. Like all of those are immediate concerns that are addressed by your county, your city, or your local government. Yep. And that is not going to be necessarily something that the president decides, right? So we're entering an era where states' rights, God forbid, that phrase is becoming so important. So the state that you live in, which means your executive, the governor, the state legislatures, the city council, the municipality, the city council hearings, all of these local issues are going to be front and center in ways that I don't think have ever been more prominent, certainly not in my lifetime. Yeah. Well, ladies, we have much more to talk about on this Urban View Vote special in advance of National Voter Registration Day. 
today. And so hopefully you have already texted, if you're not driving, hopefully you have already texted that one cousin, that second cousin. For me, it's not a cousin. It's my younger brother who posts on Facebook that he's a Trump supporter. But I kind of feel like he's doing that, June, just to create controversy on social media. You know how young people are. There are a lot of people who actually make their bread and butter that way with the controversy on social media. So if you get in a check, brother, go for it. But when you step in that booth, do the right thing, please, sir. Absolutely. So when we come back, we're going to begin a conversation about what's at stake in this election because it's more than just Trump. I know like you, you are tired of the focus and the whole world and the whole media machine revolving around Trump, what he said, what he didn't say, what he knew, what he didn't know, how dumb he is, what he said at a press conference when it's too pay fall off. Like literally everything is centered around Trump. But there is more at stake in this election than beating the big orange ugly. So when we come back, we're going to talk about what's at stake. And I have some of you who have sent your videos and comments in on what's at stake. We'll be right back with more Sunday Civics. Welcome back. You're listening to a serious XM Urban View special. Urban View Vote with Sunday Civics. Make sure you register to vote and vote early. Here's your host, national political strategist, L. Joy Williams. Welcome back. I'm Eljoy Williams, and I got my thoroughest girls with me, June Moses and Larie Daniel Favors. And we're talking about what's at stake in this election other than the big orange ugly, June. He sucks all the air out of the room because his big, his orange is ugly. (laughs) (laughs) But Larie, we don't have a traditional call-in show like all of our other folks during the week, like Karen Hunter. I actually like the aspect of people calling in and it's unpredictable but we don't get to have that on Sunday Civics. But I wanted to solicit from other people what's at stake for them in this election other than Trump. A number of you sent videos in, sent emails in, and I thank you for the conversation. Even if we don't get to use them all here on the show, we are going to use it on social media and share what you believe is at stake in this election. I'm going to start with Maurice Mitchell, who heads up the Working Families Party, who's going to to share with us what he believes is at stake. Every four years, we're told it's the most important election. This time, it's true. In less than two months, we as a nation decide whether we get back on the road to building a country cares for everyone or continue our slide. And right now, in the midst of the largest protest movement in American history, the movement for Black Lives, the President of the United States has emboldened armed white nationalists and vigilantes. He is openly calling for violence against those who simply want to defend Black lives from systemic racism and racist violence. We know this. Defeating Donald Trump is our moral mandate. But when you walk into that voting booth or drop your absentee ballot into the voting box, the drop box, you're voting for more than just a president. Let me tell you what's on the line. You're voting on whether we get judges who side with the people and advance equality or whether we get more judges who codify racism, eliminate a woman's rights to choose and put corporations ahead of people. Let's be clear. If Republicans get another four years of picking Supreme Court nominees, it will set the fight for justice back a generation. You're also voting for whether we can get a head of state who idolizes and buddies up to far-right strongmen and emulates their worst human rights offenses, or we actually get a president that we could work with in order to shift our dependence on the militarism and expansionism throughout our world. You're voting for your member of Congress, state legislators, and maybe your district attorneys or sheriffs. All of that matters as much as who votes for president. Kicking Republicans out of Congress and state houses and building progressive majorities is how we build power and win the world we want to see. We can reject the status quo that over-polices our communities and puts the super rich ahead of the rest of us. By getting the right kind of leadership in state, local, and federal government, working with the people to 
together, we could shift our nation to become a nation that cares for us all. So vote and do more than vote. Give your money, give your time, give your creativity and your passion because it's all on the line and we're in this together. Laree, Maurice is absolutely right. Defending Black lives and particularly his focus on judges and district attorneys is something that is being missed in this election conversation. And it breaks my heart because literally if the president does nothing else, he or she selects judges. And not just the Supreme Court judges, federal judges. And we got to be clear, federal judges interpret laws like the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, kind of, like the 14th Amendment, which speaks to Black citizenship, which had to be an amendment to the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment, which just tells us what police can and cannot do when they pull us over. And not only does he or she appoint judges, these judges hold their positions for life, which means they will far outlast the big orange ugly if he should be elected or successfully replace himself in the presidency. They will last for generations. And so those issues, those bread and butter issues that we talked about, what your workers' compensation looks like. Can you sue your boss if they force you to come back to work and you get exposed to COVID? Like all of these things, this isn't, these are things that are interpreted by judges. And if you pick the president for no other reason, the judgeships are what keep me up at. Well, not only on the federal level, as you mentioned, there are over 200 state Supreme Court and appellate court judges up for election as well. So even if you go down to your state level before cases can even go to a Supreme Court, they go through a local process. They go through the state Supreme Courts. And so if you are not paying attention or engaged in who is being stacked in those elections, there's over 200 of them across the country that are elected this year. That's something certainly to pay attention to. But June also his focus talking about the white nationalists. Listen, there's a lot of oddness that's on the ballot. There's QAnon, there's nationalists, there's seems like there's even Nazis. They've made a comeback. And these people aren't running for your president. They're running for your city council member, your alderman, what all those local things. And people like the buzzwords, but you actually might have to go to a website or even call your board of elections and ask them for that little book that break down what these people are about. Because if the things they're saying don't add up to making your life better, then maybe those aren't people you need to be getting into, but you still got to be in the game. And that's the bottom line is that level of education. We can't let these judges go on because believe me, the big orange ugly been doing his job when it came to that. And I don't know what we're going to do for a lifetime, but if we can do what we can do locally, your vote is just as important there as it is nationally. So it's more than every four. It's actually every two. But right now we're focused on the fourth. And for those of you who are, maybe you're asking the question, like, how do I find out whether or not there's a judicial election? How do I evaluate judges? We actually answered that question for you in a previous show, talking about local judges and talking about elections and how you should evaluate them, what resources that you can use to do that. So we'll make sure to bump that up, to share that with you. And you can go back to that show, go back to that lesson and look up what's on your ballot. So that's your second civic action for this episode is to look up what's on your ballot. It's more than just the president and maybe your senator. Look up what other things are on your ballot because there might be more than just those races that are dominating the media cycle right now. And to that point, Laurie, I want to bring in Leslie Mack. Leslie lives in North Carolina, and so I want her to share what's at stake for her in this election. While the 2020 general election is unique in many ways, it's also important to remember that all elections matter in terms of what's at stake at the ballot box. 
We are fighting here in North Carolina to move this purple state closer to blue by securing re-election of Governor Roy Cooper and an expected to be close Senate race with Democrat Cal Cunningham leading the charge. Plus, the critical North Carolina 8th Congressional District is up for grabs with Democrat Pat Timmons Goodson polling surprisingly well. In addition, this year we're voting on three funding-related ballot initiatives that would secure large funding allocation for transportation improvements, low-income housing, and neighborhood infrastructure. I hope this election calls us all to become more informed about how our elected officials run our cities, counties, states, and of course, country. For example, here in North Carolina, environmental policies are set by local soil and water conservation supervisors. Our city commissioners, well, they hold the purse strings, determining everything from local funding for elections to setting our property taxes. Becoming more knowledgeable voters helps us make better decisions in the voting booth and sets us up to be better equipped to hold our elected officials accountable once they're in office. So, Larie, something that Leslie mentioned connected to that civic action homework I talked about of knowing what's on your ballot is ballot measures, because in North Carolina, they have ballot measures about taxes. But there are over 100 ballot measures on the November ballot in over 20 states. Counties in Alabama have a stand your ground measure. There are marijuana legalization questions in Arizona, Montana, and South Dakota. California alone has over 10 measures on the ballot. And ballot measures are extremely important. They really are. And a lot of times, you know, Joy, we've talked a lot on this show about how, you know, when you have been traditionally excluded from the electoral system, understanding how all of these things work together may not necessarily seem like second nature, right? But these ballot issues, when we think about the vote, it's not just for a person. It is for the policies that we are going to have implemented into our community. So if it's a stand your ground law and you live in, say, a concealed carry state and you are concerned about the sanctity of your Black child's Black life, you want to make sure you are voting against those types of measures and you can't have a say if you are not showing up at the voting booth. We want to make sure that if there is a measure that talks about decriminalizing marijuana versus legalizing marijuana, which are not all the same thing, you want to make sure that you are able to say what it is that you want to see happen. That happens at the ballot box. Those are really, really important. And another reason why that second piece of homework of knowing what's on your ballot, because between now and November, or if you vote early, it gives you enough time to actually look at the issue, to be able to read a little bit more about it. I'm sure your local paper will put something out, do the pros and cons of the different measures. Also, your or Secretary of State or your Board of Elections who is putting on actually administering the elections will have a guide. Also, the League of Women Voters in your state or in your local area will have just nonpartisan, if you're worried about being swayed, Republican, Democrat, or swayed on a particular issue, League of Women Voters, Larie and June, straight up, like, here's the information, here's the facts about it, and they don't add the editorial of why something is good or not. I really appreciate them. That's the type of service that we need so we can make informed decisions. Shout out to them, who I'm sure all across the country will be out on National Voter Registration Day this Tuesday registering people to vote. So the next submission I have in terms of what's at stake is from Rebecca Saldana. So she has something to share with us as well. I'm a state senator in Washington state. And like so many women across our country, I took up the call to run for office in 2016. When I first got there, I was the only woman of color, but I was committed to making sure that that would never happen again. And each year we doubled the women of color in our state
States in it. And this year matters in 2020 because we have the opportunity to bring back Black women leadership into the Senate in over a decade. Because people like me, working moms, a daughter of an immigrant, Latina Chicana from Seattle, Washington, ran, we were able to pass critical legislation, the most progressive parental and family medical leave policy in the country. And it is making a difference in the lives of so many Washingtonians during this COVID crisis. But the crisis of racism and the fires that are burning and creating hazardous conditions all across the Pacific Northwest will only get worse unless more people like me get elected to office. And that is why your vote matters. Get out the vote, make a commitment to, because we need women like Tawana Nobles in the state Senate in Washington state. And there are so many amazing qualified candidates ready to take up the charge, to lead with courage and values that will make a difference for the futures of our children, the future of this planet, and the future of our democracy. Yes, to Rebecca, Black women are on the ballot, June, up and down the ballot. So yes, we have Kamala at the top in terms of our vice presidential nomination, but then all up and down, whether it's Congress, we have Black women on the ballot. Lieutenant Governor, I think there's a Lieutenant Governor Black woman candidate on the ballot in November. We have Black women who are running for state legislature legislature. Black women, Larie, who are running for school boards in, I think, next week or the week after next, we are talking with a slate of Black women who are running in the state of California on the school board. This is exactly what we want to see. And they need our support. We need to be looking to some, how we can support them. What are their platforms? How do we get to know more about them? This is exactly the type of civic engagement we need to see at every single level because the school board president today could be the national president tomorrow. And so that's the type of impact that in getting engaged civically can have. It can literally shift the entire tide of policy and procedures in our local communities. That matters. Yeah. June, I'm really excited about that conversation, about that coordinated action of Black women surveying their community and deciding, well, we know if we want to have an impact on education, it's not only just us being involved in the PTA and volunteering, but we want to be the decision makers in terms of where these dollars are spent for our county, for our district. You know, at this point, I'm happy that there are going to be people who might understand and know my lived experience to be in a position to be able to say, I know that this is your theory. I know that you, this is what you went to college for. This is what you all know. This is what you all believe. But I'm here to tell you it's wrong. And if you just tweak these few things, we can actually do this. And every level in our lives as Black women, as mothers, as aunties, as whatever, we do that. We do that from the ground up. So to be in a position where not only are you speaking truth to power, but you're moving the money around because you're the power, that makes a big difference. And they still get talked to when they get there, but it's better to have someone who's going to walk in the door understanding me versus I have to come and now educate you because I need <laughs> to understand that the way that I'm living is shameful and you should feel shame. They all don't walk with that and they all don't absorb that. So yay. Yeah. Yeah. 
And speaking of which, we're talking about the budget constraints that the federal government will be under, but also our states and our local economies are overseeing all this conversation. And as a reminder, the stock market is not the economy. So even as you're seeing that go up, 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 and maybe you have some investments or something in there, you're seeing that go up and you think all is right with the world. That is not an indicator of what is all right in the world. And states are going to be particularly hampered by this. So the last conversation we have time for, we have another submission in terms of what's at stake from a local state senator here in New York State, Senator Kevin Parker. One of my favorite sayings during every election season is that this is the most important election of our lives, but literally this election for president is the most important election of our lives. If you just even look past the sickness and the death tolls that we've seen around coronavirus, we are now looking at a recession. We're looking at civil unrest in our streets. We're looking at unemployment numbers, food insecurity. And when we look, as I look as a state legislator at what's happening on the state level and the budget deficits that we're running with no you know, sense of help from the federal government, and we look at the potential possibly of laying off teachers, laying off nurses in the middle of a pandemic, laying off hospital workers and police officers, because we have not gotten the kind of support that we need from the federal government, certainly making a change and certainly people coming out to vote in this upcoming election is absolutely critical. And so your vote is your voice. And I'm hoping to hear a thunderous applause from the people of the United States. Laurie, I'm really concerned about the pressure that states will be under when it comes budget time, because if we don't have the right people at the table in those back rooms making those decisions, we know what programs, what things are getting cut. We don't have a voice at the table or we don't have the right person in the room. If we don't have a voice at the table or the right person in the room, we getting cut. Like <laughs> all the things that matter for our community, our education system will be cut. Our WIC and SNAP and other benefits that people rely on can be cut. Affordable housing programs can be cut. And unfortunately, when the cutting is happening, you're often cutting programs that the most vulnerable among us rely on. And so if we aren't doing the work at the front end to ensure that the ballot measures that, are, that center us are being voted on, to make sure that the candidates who are going to center us are being voted upon, if we're not doing that at that end, when it comes time to make those really tough decisions, who's going to to check the power brokers who are in there to make decisions that are going to center them and the communities that they really feel an allegiance to. We have to make sure that we're getting those people into elected position to be able to defend us. And that matters now more than ever. Yeah. Well, I would could go on for a long time in terms of what's at stake in this election. But I actually do want to hear more from those of you who are listening, as long as you're not driving, <laughs> but maybe afterwards. If you want to share what you believe is at stake, particularly if you're in one what they call battleground states in terms and what else is on the ballot. Maybe you have ballot measures that you are working on or know that are extremely important, particularly like if you're in Alabama, I need to hear from you on the stand your ground ballot measure. But make sure to share it with us. You can tag us, tag the Sunday Civics account, tag me at Eljoy Williams or tag SiriusXM Urban View so that we can see and share your submission in terms of what's at stake in this election. June Larie, when we come back, I'm really excited to have this conversation with Senator Elizabeth Warren and not only talking about civics and the need for voter registration and engagement, but also what's at stake in this election. Hi, everyone. I'm Luba Gresham Shirley. Everything is at stake in this election. Our children are at stake in this election. Our country is at stake in this election. I can't even begin to describe what this election means. Every time, every time there's an election, someone will say it's the most important election of our lives. 
this one really is. We need to make sure that we have somebody in office who cares about America and who understands what is happening in this country. We are seeing the very real effects daily of climate change, of systemic racism, of underinvestment in children and in working families in this country. And we need to change that. Everything is at stake. Our ability to protect and take care of Americans is at stake. And you know, we're 27th in education. We're 27th in healthcare globally. We are the only country in the world other than Papua New Guinea without paid family leave. We have the worst maternal mortality rate in the developed world. And yet we've had representatives vote to take maternity coverage away from American women. And we need to change that. And the only way to change that is to change who gets elected. This is not just about beating Donald Trump. It is about systemic change and making sure that we are electing people to office that understand the issues that the rest of us deal with every single day. I ran for Congress in 2018 because I was sick and tired of having a representative who didn't care and who actively voted to hurt people in my district. And I launched Vote Mama, a PAC, and the foundation afterwards to help elect moms up and down the ballot and across the country because we need people who get these issues, who understand how difficult it is to access childcare. This pandemic has only exacerbated the crisis. We are now worrying about whether or not we're sending our kids to school with masks on, to sit in a desk behind plastic, or whether or not we're virtually schooling them or homeschooling them. And I remember thinking it would be bad when Donald Trump won. I didn't think it would be this bad. We have to elect good people, incredible moms who are running up and down the ballot, incredible women, incredible men who are running who care about this country. Everyone has to get out and vote. Make sure that you are voting this November. It is critical for our country. Welcome back. You're listening to a Sirius XM Urban View special. Urban View Vote. With Sunday Civics and special guest, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Here's your host, national political strategist, Eljoy Williams. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I am so delighted to have this amazing conversation with an amazing senator, a U.S. senator, if you will. (laughs) This is her first time on the show. Please welcome to the conversation for this Urban View vote special, Senator Elizabeth Warren, the senior senator from Massachusetts. Hi, Senator. Hi, how are you? It's so good to be here with you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us for this vote special. You know, I have to tell you, I'm really excited that we're changing the focus of the conversation from election day to election season so that people can get excited about it. Yep, yep. And you know, that is the right way to look at it. Part of this for me is, look, November 3rd, I'm counting the days down. You bet I am. Make a plan to vote. Going to be there. But it's also, you know, I hope that we're spending November 4th all celebrating, big party. But November 5th, we're right back to work because we have to stay in this fight for real change. We got to stay in this fight during the transition from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. We got to stay in this fight during the transition from Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in charge over to getting Democrats in charge. But we've got to stay in this fight because of the things we're fighting for. And the only way we're going to get that stuff is not just by saying, oh, we elected some good people, we're done. We're going to get that stuff by staying in there and continuing push on it and to make. But the first step is November 3rd. Got to vote. Yes, definitely. So to that point, we are just a few days away. The reason why we're doing this special, we're just a few days away from National Voter Registration Day. And I'm not sure if you've seen these stats about the people who are unregistered in our country. This is from a Pew Research study. Over 60% of people who are eligible to vote, but not yet registered, say no one has ever asked them. Not their church, not their school, an elected official, not 
not even a family member. How do we close that gap, you think? Well, how about you and I start? <laughs> yes. <laughs> please, please, please register to vote. And the reason for that is if you get registered, then you don't have to vote. But by golly, getting registered is the first step. So if you get moved to vote, you'll be able to vote. And the only way to say this is if you don't like what goes on in Washington, you get a chance to be able to do something about it. If you don't like what's going on at your state house, if you don't like what's going on in your city, if you don't like the way things are being run, you get this chance on November 3rd to vote those guys out, to hold those guys accountable, and to put in people you care about. You get the chance to support, let's say you've got a good Democratic senator who seems to be voting the right way and fighting for the things you believe in. November 3rd is your chance to say, I support you. Keep doing more of it. But all of that happens on November 3rd. And the only way your voice can be heard is if you get registered now. So I'm asking, please, would you register to vote? Eljoy, up to you. Yes. And so if you have not heard it probably, you know, 18 times on the show, please register to vote and we'll be sharing information on how you you can do that every like five minutes <laughs> um, so that you can participate in this process. And also for those of you who are already registered, you're not off the hook. You then have to go out and be part of those folks who are asking other people to register to vote. Because as we said, no one has ever asked. So here's your chance to ask people to actually register. I love that. It's not just that you and I are asking. It's that we're asking people to ask other people. You know, I once was talking to someone who was saying that the very best way to get people to register to vote or to get people to vote is if somebody they know asks them. So that means it's really on you. If you're sitting there all smug saying, hey, yeah, of course I registered to vote and I plan to vote. My answer is good for you, but I'm like Eljoy here. You're not through at this point. If you ask your uncle, if you ask your cousin, if you ask your next door neighbor, if you ask the person you work with or the person you go to school with, if you ask those folks now first, register, are you registered vote? The odds go up pretty dramatically that if they're not, they will. Help them do it. Because this one really is hand to hand to hand. we got two ways to make democracy work the way I see it. One is giant corporations, CEOs, billionaires, they can run things the way they want to run things. And frankly, they don't want you to vote. They don't want the people who are watching this show to vote, right? They don't want everybody to vote. They just want the folks that they're comfortable with voting. And they've got plenty of money to spend. Our side isn't doing it that way. We got to handcraft this, right? We got to make this from me to you, from you to the next one, from the next one to the next one and on down the line. So that's why it's so important that we all take this on as our own responsibility, ownership over the whole thing. So if you're not registered yet, get registered. If you are registered, get some other folks registered. And then the super duper trifecta eight plus answer is if you can get some of those people that you get registered to get some of their friends to register. That's how we make this work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I often just as you bring in the corporations and I'm certainly you spent your entire career, you know, tussling against some of them. <laughs> but, you know, I often when I'm doing basic civics classes or trying to get people engaged in the process and I remind people that, you know, corporations 
politicians, wealthy people, folks, they bend politics and policy to their will, right? Mm -hmm. And whereas other people are looking for that entry point to be engaged, they don't see an entry point for them. And so for those of us who are organizers, activists, engaged, like we have to help people see the entry point and how they can get engaged and make something that's impactful for them in their lives. Because, you know, I'm sure as you know, if someone who is at the poverty line or below, they've been that way, whether it was a Republican or a Democrat, you know, they're not seeing much change in their lives. So we have to make the politics and government sort of see an entry point for them to get engaged yeah. for something for them. I think you're so right on that. And, and let me say it in a way that's more specific. You know, there are 43 million people out there wrestling with student loan debt. And if every single one of them voted, and I get it, some of them would vote for the other team, that's fine. But if every single one of the people who is dealing with student loan debt got out and voted, two things would happen. First of all, I just have no doubt that enough of them would vote based on that student loan debt and the fact that the Democrats are looking for ways to cancel that student loan debt that would help us get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris elected, help us get a Democratic majority in the Senate, help us elect some Democrats up and down the line. That'd be part one, but here's the thing. Part two, and it goes to exactly what you were talking about, Eljoy, and that is people feel like, look, I voted for those guys before and they didn't do anything for me. Not enough folks voted for them and said, this is the deal for me. I'm in this because I want to see these. So we get everybody, for example, who's wrestling with student loan debt to get out there and vote. You not only get the right people in office, you get the right people to do the right thing. Enough folks are out there voting who are dealing with student loan debt. We'll deal as a nation with the student loan debt problem. You want to see change? You got to start by voting. Yeah, yeah. And to a point that you're making about voting up and down the ballot, that's something else that I think in our civic discourse, we spend a lot of time you know, trying to pump up people to vote come presidential elections. But then, you know, as you and I know, some of the real things that people are dealing with, a state legislature, a governor, you know, your city council or county or municipal government. And, you know, I always find that having the conversation, that local entry point, you know, those issues that as soon as you walk outside, you know, of your apartment building, or if you have an apartment building or an affordable apartment to begin with, like being able to have those conversations. And, you know, I, I'm often frustrated when I'm engaging with people on the block and in the community. They say everybody's focus is on Trump, you know, but what about these other issues and mm -hmm. these local issues and making that connection of a, a vote local is also a vote for your livelihood. You know, and again, just thinking about examples of that, we could do some significant policing reforms at the federal level. And I'm a co-sponsor on a bill with Kamala for this. And I think we've got some really good ideas, good stuff out of the house on this. But we also do it at the state level. You know, I'm from Massachusetts. It's right now in effect on the ballot because it's right there with the state legislature. And who your state legislator is could make a difference on an issue like that. Foreclosures. You worried about foreclosures? Yeah, I'm working at it at the federal level in Washington, but states our different states are moving to try to keep foreclosures from happening across the state. That's where state law matters. And that's where the difference between who your governor is, who your state legislatures, uh, who sits in those legislatures really matter. And that's true all the way through the system. It's true with mayors and city council. I tell you, this stuff touches our lives. 
it, it may not always come with a big sign that said this is because that guy got elected, but boy, this stuff is connected. So I'm with you. When you vote, oh yeah, president, senator, congressperson, absolutely. But boy, be sure to hit the rest of those. So, you know, one of the reasons why I started Sunday Civics is because that we need to teach civics in schools, which I wholeheartedly and definitely I mean, agree that we need mm-hmm. to have civic education school. But as you and I know, there are still, you know, millions of adults who are voting age, who are participating or not participating who lack that education as well, who don't see that entry point, who don't get to have a say in how their government is running or participating in self-governance. How do you think we help to close that gap, increase it? Because, you know, I get it, people are busy, but we do have to be participatory or else like the big corporations and the wealthy people just get all the say. That's right. Believe you me, they're participatory, right? They make sure that their voices get heard in Washington. They hire the big time lobbyists and lawyers and they finance the think tank. So there's plenty. Their voices are heard loud and clear. You're exactly right. How do we make sure everybody else's voice gets heard so that they are truly represented in all levels of our government? That's why I love your program. Because part of the answer is, I think, to remind people, this isn't that hard. This is not like, oh my God, I'm going to have to take on. No, actually getting registered to vote ought to be even easier, but it's not that hard. Okay, varies from state to state, and I know you're going to give people information on this, Yes, getting out and voting. Again, I understand we talk a lot about voter suppression and how they're trying to keep people from voting, but you know what? There are actually a lot of ways to do this now. Vote early, right? Use a drop-off box if they're being used in your state. And again, I know you're going to help people do that as we're through this election season. Let's get this down in just little bites. This is stuff we can do, and then hold on to the little piece of what motivates you. Remind yourself of what some of the candidates are trying to do and what's on the ballot. You know, I mentioned earlier uh, police reform or student loan debt, but think about all the others. Increasing social security payments and disability make a big difference in the lives literally of millions of people. If that one motivates you, keep it in your mind so that you get yourself registered and get a plan to vote. Childcare, universal childcare, something important for all of us. Getting this COVID crisis under control. You know, it's something that is particularly hitting communities of color hard. People are getting sick. People are dying. The Trump administration, I I can't decide if they just, they have no plans or they only have bad plans. But, But the point is, people are dying over this. Boy, that ought to be a motivator to stay in this all the way through registration, through voting, and then through holding your elected officials accountable. That's how we make change. We do it for ourselves. We do it for our families. We do it for the people we love. And speaking of the COVID crisis, you know, we had a discussion on the show about the reconstruction post-COVID, mm-hmm. also reconstruction post-Trump, but, you know, we may not have time for that conversation. <laughs> but talking about the rebuilding certain aspects of our infrastructure mm-hmm. and whether it's our economy, whether it's our healthcare infrastructure and our education infrastructure, thinking about our children, and there's a lot to that we need to be participatory in because I'm fully aware that those folks with the high-powered lobbyists and everything, they already have their plan of how they are going to push forth an agenda post-COVID and as we begin to rebuild. And it does not include us. Nope, nope, nope. The only extent to which it includes 
all the folks is to say, you guys can keep working hard, putting your lives on the line and having no real security. And sometimes that'll work out okay for you and a lot of times it won't, but they see it as not their problem. That's the direction that Trump and the Republicans have pulled this country. And that's why this one is so important. We really have, we've come to the fork in the road. We can continue to go in the direction that Trump wants this to go. I have a bill that's made it through the House basically, but Mitch McConnell's holding it up in the Senate. It's called the Essential Workers Bill of Rights. And it starts with the idea that during COVID, there are a lot of folks who've been out there putting their lives on the line. And, and sure, it's, it's nurses and first responders, but it's a lot more people too. It's people who clean the hospitals and the office buildings. It's people who stack the, the food on the grocery store shelves. It's people who make deliveries, people who kept and are keeping our economy going, even at risk to themselves and to their families. So I said, look, if that's what's gonna happen here, we ought to be talking about changes in the law to protect these folks. So they ought to get complete health care coverage. Uh, they should have paid sick leave if something happens to them. They should have paid child care so they're able to be able to go to work. They should have the right to join a union and collective bargaining agreements should be respected. They should have the right to be able to raise safety concerns and know that they're not going to get fired for doing that. A lot of things that would make the lives of our essential workers both safer and more secure. But here's the thing, I'm pushing hard for that now because we're still in this, but think about what it would mean. We get it passed and we extend it to all workers so that we're raising the pay for all our workers. We're creating more economic security for all of our workers. That's the kind of America that we have a chance to build. Well, let's stay there a second, particularly talking about our healthcare infrastructure. You know, why is our healthcare tied to where we work in the first place? Um, because like, you know, people need healthcare whether they're working or not, whether you have a quote unquote good job or a government job or a county job, like people still need good quality healthcare. Yep. And so when do we have the opportunity, similar to what you talk about in terms of justice reform, to ask the big question of why is it tied? Well, we know why it was tied to employment in terms of, you know, the labor movement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Historically. But why do we need that going forward? And so maybe yeah, and we need we to dismantle that. Right. And we don't. That's and you know, <laughs> that is the whole point. People get sick whether they have jobs or not. Having tied it to employment actually creates these weird effects for little businesses, for example, that have trouble competing with big businesses because a big business says, you know what? We got 10,000 employees. We can make this work. We just provide health insurance for everybody. A business that's only got five employees, that's a real problem. So you're now potentially an employee and you've got two folks who've made you job offers. Where are you going to go? You know, you go to the one who can give you health insurance. So removing the connection between your health insurance and it only works if you're with your employer would actually help boost a lot of startup businesses, a lot of small businesses, as well as boost folks who want to change jobs. I don't know about you, but I've met a lot of people who've said to me, yeah, I really want to take a different job, but I got this problem. I've got a pre-existing condition and I got to stay where my health insurance is. We could break that loose. President Barack Obama did a really terrific thing with the Affordable Care Act, gave 
give us an alternative way for some people to be able to get insurance, great start. Our job now is to build on that. And continuing on to that reconstruction about the economy, I get the sense that even in watching, you know, one, I try to remind people all the time, just because you see the stock market going up, like the stock market is not the economy. No. People have jobs, whether or not people can pay their mortgages, their rent or anything like that, the stock market has nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, but even the conversations I'm reading, whether it's The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, or just in conversation, they're all talking about corporations. Yep. I'm concerned about the, you know, the strip of small businesses where I go to the hardware store on my block. Will they come back? Yep. I was at a diner that's walking distance from my house. You know, last year they celebrated 80 years. Now they're closed. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. so, you know, that's what I'm concerned about. You know, where I live in Massachusetts, we just saw a piece that said about 20% of all of our restaurants have now said they're never coming back. And and the thing is, you got to figure the numbers continue to go up. Every month that COVID continues to have its grip on our nation and posing a threat to people all across this country is a month where these small businesses are not able to do business in the same way, a month where a lot of them are losing. And that, that means I'm less worried about the giants and whether or not they're going to make it back. They got a lot of cash to be able to withstand and they got a lot of investors that let them withstand a lot of strong winds. But these little businesses, they're going to blow over. For me, it's just a really hard thing has hit our small businesses, especially, like I said, restaurants, the whole entertainment industry, the arts industry in particular, because they rely so much on people vacationing or people going out for a good time, which is just not happening nearly as much during this crisis. This is a time when we step up for them. They've stepped up for us at other times. We've got to be in America where we've got each other's back. Yeah. And lastly, before I let you go, our children in yeah. terms of education and our teachers. You know, this week, my husband went back to his school, you know, to start the school year, but they're teaching. They refuse to go in the building because the building is not yet safe mm -hmm. um, for them to be back in the building. And so they're outside the building. So they're there, you know, to teach and meet their students and give them the tablets and technology that they need. But they're at a park across the street. You know, we don't have a full assessment in terms of where our children are in terms of this gap that they have from their education and certainly learning in a classroom with your peers and with the teacher in front of you is much different than Zoom. Yeah. And, you know, this is just one more reminder of how badly Donald Trump and his administration failed people of this country. We are now six months into this. Six months. We should have had this problem tied down. You know, if he had started in last February and said, okay, serious problem, like we know he knew. If instead of lying about it and say, oh, it's not that serious. If instead he said, this is really serious. So what we're gonna do is we are gonna ramp up like crazy for testing and protective equipment. And so we get quick turnarounds and we're gonna start managing this problem from the beginning. Not only would a lot of people not have died, we could now have plans in place for how we safely get our kids and our teachers back into school. You know, if everybody, we already had testing programs in place, so we were literally testing millions against this virus and getting quick responses, and when somebody showed up testing positive, you get them isolated. We could have brought down the contagion rate here, and this fall, we could safely be talking about very different plans for our schools. So, to me, it's one more reminder of why government matters. 
because government is how we decide together how to keep our kids safe, how to keep them learning, how to make sure that our teachers are at the table and respected when we're trying to make these decisions together. And that's why we need a government that doesn't just start every conversation with Wall Street and uh, the stock market and big corporations like it, don't like it, but start the conversations with what it's like live in this country and particularly what it's like. If you're worried about not getting a paycheck, if you're worried about whether or not your mom and dad are gonna get sick from this thing, if you're worried about whether or not you can get daycare or get your kids back to school. We need a government. We need a government structure that that's where the deep concern and competent policy is made. Well, Senator, thank you so very much for joining us. I think you, you know, our conversation perfectly laid out what's at stake in this election season. And both myself and Senator Warren are encouraging you to not only go out and register to vote, but register other people (laughs) so that they can be registered and participate. And even if you think that you're already registered because of the conversation about voter suppression, changes laws, you know, purging and all of that can happen in different states. Make sure you verify that you are registered so that you can show up and vote as well. Senator, I'll let you have the last word. Oh, listen, this is it, this election. So we're talking about registration today. We'll be talking about voting as we get closer to November 3rd. But most of all, vote like your life depends on it. I want to thank Senator Elizabeth Warren for taking the time to join us to talk about this important moment. This moment, which now has much higher stakes after the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Our prayers are with her family as she enters eternal rest, but we who are still among the land of the living have work to do. Early vote has already begun in a few states this weekend, so the time is now for you to get vote ready. Verify your registration, look up and know what ballot measures and other candidates are on your ballot, and make your plan to vote. Lastly, this is the week. We need you to make sure that your friends, cousins, aunts, and neighbors are registered and that they have their vote plan ready too. That's all we have time for today. We'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics. I look forward to having you back in class to take civic action. Yeah,